You're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 99th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you liked today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I have with me a master consultant and coach to business leaders around the topic of emotional intelligence, Mark Tovar. I met Mark when he went through my coaching program and wanted to talk with him more about the work he does. I'm sure you'll find it interesting. Mark Tovar coaches leaders, employees, and executives to increase emotional intelligence and mental agility. He is a certified EQI 2.0 provider and a 360 leadership assessment provider. He trains people to build relationships, momentum, and cohesion to enhance their leadership style. He also specializes in coaching those in high-stress professions from experiencing burnout, helping them to reorient and find the drive that will move them forward. Welcome, Mark, and thank you so much for joining us today to talk about leadership and the way you help leaders become even better. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Let's start with a simple definition about what is emotional intelligence exactly. In the executive space, at least, we have been talking about it in squishy terms for about the last 10 years. Now, businesses and executives are really seeing it and needing a concrete definition. So I tell them that emotional intelligence is what you do with your emotions in regard to leadership. So it's basically when you come to work, it is how you show up to work in terms of emotionality how you utilize and control your emotions at work, both with your employees, your clients, and yourself, and also how that is viewed by others. Mm -hmm. So when you take all of these into account, what you're really thinking about here is how you show up in your life, both socially and in your workspace. And the way that we are now being able to measure these things is becoming increasingly important. And actually, a lot of what we would call heavy hitters in the Fortune 500 space are finding a good return on investment in terms of training their leaders to be able to be aware of things like empathy, psychological safety, the way that they handle conflict or problem employees or just problems in general. One of the things that you said that made me think of your 360 leadership assessment was it's what you do with these things as well as how they are perceived by others. So you might think you got it all together and you're doing just fine, smooth sailing. But if the people around you have a different perception, I imagine that might cause some conflict. That's exactly it, Kim. That's exactly why the 360 assessment is important because we as human beings have this thing that's kind of a bias toward ourselves. We always think that we're better than we are. When somebody is asked, do you have any of the isms, racism, sexism, ageism? People always think, no, I'm a perfectly good person. When I go into most workspaces and I were to ask the question, who deserves a raise? everybody's hand goes up because we all believe that we're the hardest working people that we know. And although that is a nice social veneer to have, it doesn't serve us well because it is often the case that we aren't an accurate historian of the ways that we act and say and the things that we do in public places. This is a good way to really articulate to somebody we're not always self-aware of how we might sound, of how we might act, think of the last argument you've had. It's often the case that one person has one perception and the other person has another. 
let's be fair. From each person's perspective, they are 100% right. It isn't that they're trying to mislead you. It is that they wake up in a world of their own creation. So it's really good to be able to have some of these assessments and work on emotional intelligence so that they're aware that they may not be being seen by others. The reputation, if you will, may not hold up to how they believe themselves to be. Right. Do you always pair those two, your emotional intelligence coaching with a 360? I don't. Those are additional assessments that a person can choose to partake in. And usually they're in leadership spaces or group spaces where those type of benchmarks would be important. So that's not always the case. It just kind of depends on what the particular individual is looking for. Some people just want to maybe work on their communication skills or their conflict management skills. That may not take an assessment per se. If they're really focused in on a part of emotional intelligence that they would like to work on, then they can just do that particular piece. But if they're in a leadership capacity or leading others in any way or have a team, I always think that the 360 is probably the best way to get an accurate representation of how they're performing. So it just occurred to me that we're talking about 360, and I don't think we've defined it for our audience who don't know what that is. Could you share what the 360 is? That's a great clarification. A 360 is an assessment that you can perform and you'll answer a a certain amount of questions. And they're very basic, uh, very clear questions. But what we do is we have you answer those questions, and then we have the people who work for you answer those questions. And then we plot them on a graph to find out how close you think you are to those questions to the people who work for you or work with you. Hmm. And in that, we can kind of get the both the self-assessment of self and then the accurate representation of how those other people are perceiving you. We keep all of that anonymous so that if, Kim, if you were working for me and you wanted to say, well, Mark thinks he's a good communicator, but he interrupts a whole bunch. He's always interrupting. There may be a question related to that that would reflect that. Maybe not interrupting in those specific terms, but you'll be able to do that without fear of retribution or them being able to really come back on who that is. At the end of the day, what you have is a accurate representation of how other people are viewing you within your workspace. And other than that, then we just do the regular EQI, which is an individual representation. So it's good that we have that there for both. I like that, especially when how other people view you is part of the emotional intelligence piece as well. Absolutely. What made you decide to dive into this particular arena? I based my whole coaching philosophy on this area of emotional intelligence. And people have asked, why is this so important to you? It's occurred to me that after a long journey in clinical experience coming to the coaching world, we've really been teaching these skills of conflict management, communication, empathy, compassion. Those are good in any context. And I thought this makes sense to me because it is, it's actually so needed in our workspace and it's universal. Everybody benefits from that. Also, a little bit about my personal story is I spent a long amount of time in an educational academic way coming through a system of hierarchical, let's call it that hierarchical leadership. And I'm somebody who's known in my personal life as somebody who's very bubbly and has a lot of energy and kind of brings that pleasure. Well, I noticed throughout my trajectory that I was getting to a point of burnout. Let's put it this way. In terms of my emotional intelligence, I wasn't showing up in the world the way that I wanted to. And people were beginning to remark about this. People close to me, my wife, my coworkers were like, what's wrong with you? You seem a little bitter. You seem a little angry. You don't seem quite as on fire for your work. And this was work that I'd been doing for 20 some years. 
I think it was at that moment that I realized I am suffering from burnout after so many years. And how is it that I let somebody extinguish this light of mine? And it only came from people very close to me being able to tell me the truth that made me say, I don't want anybody else to go through this. There were so many other good professionals I was seeing in the executive space that really put their 180% into work. And then in terms of leadership, they weren't being recognized. They weren't being valued. And I saw that as suffering both within myself and with the other people around me. And I thought if there was something that we could bring to this space that would prevent that from happening, that's where I wanted to be. And three years later, I feel like I'm able to provide that for other people, executives, employees in the workspace. So it really came from personal struggle, to be very honest. Often I'll get calls of like, how do you know you can help me? You know, I've been in this dead end job or the boss doesn't like me or just work is too much. How can they be confident that you'll be able to help them? And I can just say, well, I don't make promises, but I can tell you it wasn't that long ago that I probably was feeling some of what you were feeling. Yeah. You found the glow in your situation. I know you understand glow from training, but the gifts, lessons, opportunities, and wisdom from your burnout, you have translated into a program to help other people. That's an amazing opportunity, and it demonstrates the wisdom and the lessons that you learned. I think it's a beautiful thing when people can take their own pain, get through it, and then use that experience to reach behind them and take the hand of others who are going through similar things and help lead them out of that space. So congratulations on that. That's awesome, Mark. Thank you. And I'm always, I'm always the student. I still feel like I'm learning from my clients as they come and they share. This journey is not over and I am by no means at the head of it. I'm simply on the road with them and it continues to feed me. That's great. Explain why professional burnout is a large part of your work now. Professional burnout is the largest part of my work now because, as you know, we've been through a two-year-plus pandemic. There has been major change. And so the statistics we read about a 50% to 60% disengagement in the workforce has now only increased. Midway through the pandemic, I would say my business increased by 100%. Within three months, I went from a, I would say, a low caseload to more people than I could possibly fit into a two-week schedule. Burnout is more important now just because of the nature of the world at large. People in the last two years have had to reorganize their life around what's personally important to them, what works for them financially, and ultimately, I believe, a sense of purpose, what they want to do with the rest of the time that they have left. And I know that might sound morbid, but I think it was a real big wake up call for people to before when we were just not happy and that was just the way it went. I think we've been given a unique opportunity here to see that, well, you know, it is what it is. Now we can really disagree and say, well, no, it actually could be what you make it. And I think that that really has spurred people on. So in one area, we see a larger burnout than any other time in work history, but I'm encouraged by it because although I don't enjoy the suffering, I think it gave people permission to have another option in their life and to really reach for that. What we call now the gig economy. This is what you've heard about people leaving their full-time jobs and saying, well, maybe I'll do this side business or maybe I'll drive for a meal delivery service. Something on the edge that's not quite within the box, so to speak, is actually, it's a growing community. We have more contractors now, more piecemeal. 
this is actually a fairly good development for some folks. I do recognize that in some communities, there are some different things that may be holding them back economically and or job-wise. But for a large majority of people, it was a real wake-up call. That's why burnout now is more prevalent than it ever has been. Yeah, I'm grateful every day that I have always done the work that I love and continue to be able to do that because I know that is not the experience of everyone. That is true. I'm glad that you're working in that area. And I'm really happy that people are learning that they can create the kind of life that they can love as well. And I do understand that there are some limitations for some people for sure. When you're marketing your coaching services, what do you Mm -hmm. say to the leader who says something along the lines of, yeah, I've been a good leader all my life. I don't need this coaching service. Yeah. There are some people that would believe and have said that they experience growth year after year. They don't have a high amount of turnover Mm -hmm. in their workplace. So they take the common benchmarks that people would generally have, such as those, and say, I'm not sure your services are required. Why would I purchase your services? And I go back to, well, people who purchase my services have conflicts in their workspace that sometimes the head folks aren't aware of. Have you ever done a needs assessment in your workplace? Have you done something on company culture? And these aren't always big firms, mind you. Some of these are mom and pop startups and things like that. So again, we go back to what we spoke about earlier. What they believe may be present in their workspace may or may not be present. If you are the type of person who deals with any sort of work conflict, if you are a person who likes a higher return on investment, if you are a person who likes to have a cogent and cohesive work environment and reach your goals on time or exceed them, when I start talking in business acumen language, then it really begins to make sense to them that yes, you could do all of your goals on time, but what would it be like to really meet them way ahead of time and perhaps give your whole entire workforce the day off for a job well done? And that's something that they hadn't really considered or thought about. I do go back to that and say it is probably the case that if these other businesses have found great benefit, and I give them the business cases of large corporations and companies who've used these services, generally, they then at least give it a listen and say, perhaps there's an opportunity here to improve. It may not be from going from terrible to good. It may be going from good to great. Little Jim Collins there. Yeah, for sure. That's the thing. Let's not always work from a deficit. Let's talk about how to make good better instead of you looking for what would be a lagging indicator, some sort of benchmark that makes you know for sure that there's a big problem. What is that old saying? We fix the roof when the sun is shining. That's right. Let's not wait for a big hole in the roof or a leak. And it could be the case that just because it's not leaking in the bedroom doesn't mean there isn't a leak anywhere else in the house either. Very good analogy. I think that that's so true. And I have heard in my line of work, particularly when it is about DEI stuff, diversity, equity, and inclusion, you want to go in and train on that. And business leaders will often say, you're just going to stir up a bunch of stuff. My response is often, you can't stir up what's not there. If it's there, you want to stir it up so that you can deal with it. Otherwise, it just operates in the shadows and it can be much more dangerous that way. And I always say, look, by the time it wells up, if you've put enough stuff in the closet and you've just jammed it all in there, eventually when that closet opens up, the things are going to fall out. And that sometimes takes a legal thing going on. Always keep your ear to the track 
and know what's going on. It's good for those consultants like ourselves to go in and say, hey, let's be honest. We just don't come in and rebel rouse. We're talking about things as trained professionals that we are. We've seen trends in society at large, and there are ways to go and have these crucial or difficult conversations in a way that is very healing. You provide a space to be able to have these conversations in a protected way. That's something very important too. know your coach's training, really get an understanding of the things that we've had a lifetime of being in these spaces in these places because we put ourselves there willingly because we enjoy the work. It's very different than just somebody showing up from the outside with a current article and say, well, today we're going to talk about this because I saw it on the front headlines. Right. That is not what multiculturally competent coaches, professionals, counselors, anybody in our field that's been doing this for a long enough time understands that there's training that has to have gone before and check those references, find out what your people are certified in, have an understanding of the pedigree so that you know that these folks have had these discussions before with successful outcomes. Yes, very important. What would you tell leaders that they can do in the workplace to help their people prevent burnout, not just them, but the people that they manage? Really, they're simple things. A lot of leaders ask this question and then they get their pad and paper out and they're ready to write down resources and how much money is this going to cost me? And I say, look, first, let's start with you as an individual. Let's figure out again, emotional intelligence says, how do you show up to work in the morning? Think of it as a garment that you wear. Have you come in in the last five minutes, build coffee, and now you're rushing to get to that meeting and this is how you come in the door? How does this look? Think about this term psychological safety that we talk about a lot in emotional intelligence. I know it seems like a loaded word. It is not. Psychological safety is basically if Kim is my boss or my leader, I want to know that Kim and me have some things in common. That if I'm having a tough day, Kim doesn't necessarily have to be a coach to me or a therapist. But I could say, you know, Kim, I woke up a little late this morning. I'm struggling and I want to be recognized in that. And I don't want to face retribution in any way. Those are the things that we can do. Begin to have these conversations with your people. If you look at things like HBR's leadership tip of the day, for those of you who know about the Harvard Business Review, if you can just tune into the leadership tip of the day, what they do a lot is give you quick 30-second blurbs about how to work with your team to promote empathy or psychological safety. You don't have to be a therapist or a coach. I would recommend that you be kind. I yes. would recommend that you suspend judgment. I would recommend that you think about benign intent, which would mean if somebody comes in late, it may not be their intention to do so unless you have a long history of said behavior. All of these things that are very personable, give the benefit of the doubt. If you want to treat Kim well or fairly, maybe there's something very important to Kim. Let's say Kim has young children coming home for school. So one of the things that you do because you know Kim works very hard is you say, Kim, you know, I'm going to let you go 15 minutes early for these next couple of days so that you can get your stuff done. Now, I know leaders kind of freak out on me and they go, well, if we make that thing for Kim, we've got to make it for everyone. And I'm going to push back a little bit. I'm going to say, you know, in the world of the emotionally intelligent, we understand that different workers need different things. Different workplaces need different things. As a leader, you have tremendous, tremendous ability to form those lines so that your people feel respected and appreciated. Use that to your advantage. And if you want to go above and beyond and great and have everybody tested and going on emotional intelligence and want to have people come in and do that, that's wonderful stuff. But I believe that it really starts with you and what you're willing to give in the discussions you're willing to have. I hope that kind of resonates with folks. 
because I don't want them to think that they have to, you know, be certified or they, they really have to be kind and have that empathy and understanding of what it's like to be someone who works for them. I love that. Something you said made me think of a learning moment that I had. I'm a mom of two sons and I spent their whole lives trying to treat them exactly the same. I wanted to be fair. I didn't want any sibling rivalry going on. And someone said to me once, sometimes treating everyone exactly the same is the most unfair thing you can do. I thought of that in response to your, well, if I let Kim go home 15 minutes early, I'm going to have to let everybody go home 15 minutes early. That's not true. If you are providing what each person needs and they feel supported and respected, they are not going to care what is happening with other people. It really is about getting to know your employees, finding out their needs, finding out how they like to be rewarded, how they like to be appreciated. Because some people will want the employee of the month and the big party and the and the applause, and other people would die with that kind that's of absolutely, treatment. That's absolutely right. The equality versus fairness. I don't want to give everybody a milkshake if somebody in my group is lactose intolerant. There, I've been tremendously equal. However, I've, it's not very fair to that person who's going to have right. issues. As Gary V will tell you, for those of you who don't know Gary Vonacek, he's a serial entrepreneurial person and a leader and often does things outside of the box. He said, you don't build company culture by buying beanbags and ping pong tables and snacks in the cafeteria. Those things are nice and they're good. But that's not really a sense of belonging. That's just us having cool stuff in our cafeteria. Right. Unless you know for a fact that you've got people who really want a ping pong table and you've done that needs assessment and everybody says, yeah, this would make us feel a great sense of belonging. Then we've got something. Otherwise, it is better for you to learn your employees. And then people go, I have to learn everybody, everybody (laughs) in my company. Yes. As a leader, that is your responsibility to know people above a surface level. And I don't pull any punches for that. If you are not capable of doing that, that's fine. But you better have a chief heart officer or somebody in your organization whose specific goal or ability is to make those kind of connections. So I'm okay if you don't tend to be somebody who does that. But we must know that about ourselves then. And we must plan because every worker will tell you they want to be recognized. They want to be noticed and they want to be referred to Mm -hmm. as somebody who has mastery in their field. If Kim is doing this, I promise you, for those of you who may know Kim or may not know Kim, she may not have to be the best person doing it, but she wouldn't be doing it unless she thought she could bring some sense of value to the proposition and do it fairly well. Mastery is something that we all need. As a leader, I'm expecting your mastery to be the influence of people, not the motivation, because I know motivation is fleeting. You better be able to speak to them in a way that makes them feel like they have purpose and a mission with you. I haven't found argument with many in the business or entrepreneurial spaces. They can get on that. You'll find that on most websites and mission statements. So I just take them back to the mission statement and say, well, this is what your company says. Mm -hmm. Are we dedicated to this or not? Because that means that you'd be getting to know people and know what they want. That's critically important. Thank you for that point. If anybody wants to get a hold of you to talk with you more about either emotional intelligence, coaching, 360 evaluations, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you, Mark? Um, Real Counseling Texas is my website. You can type in Real Counseling Texas. You'll find it there. But probably 210-588-0863 is my business number. You can call. 
You can text willing to answer questions regarding any of the stuff that we've talked about, how to set up a work culture that's positive, how to value your workers, and for some of us, how to recover from maybe those stressful work-life situations that most of us have been a part of in some way. I know everybody's experienced that if, if I do a talk and say, how many of you have been victimized by a leader in a space that you didn't feel valued your personhood, everybody raises their hand. Everybody. And then I say, okay, which one of them are you? Nobody raises their hand. It's amazing that we have this pandemic of everybody being affected by some bad leader somewhere in time, yet nobody is willing to raise their hand. I have yet in my many, many workshops, I have yet to have somebody raise their hand to the second question. So that's amazing. That's that bias towards self we talked about in the very beginning. It's just interesting that we have that bias because we know our intent and we always know we have positive intent, but with others, we're not as quick to assume that positive intent and much more likely to think there's some nefarious purpose behind mm, others' actions. So right. I just really want to thank you for taking your time to be here with me and to, for scheduling at short notice. I appreciate that too. So thank you so much for everything you shared. I know it's going to help a lot of people in the audience. It's been my pleasure. Excellent. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be talking with author Charles Gill about his ideas regarding leadership. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices choices equal life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.